0: I really think that a sales trainer coming in and trying to justify metrics inside of what it is that they're teaching people around volume, so call volume, is one of the biggest travesties of sales. If a manager or, or a company wants to measure their, metri- their, their volume and their, their output and try to come up with statistics around like, okay, this is working, this is not, I think that's fine but a sales trainer coming in and saying, you need to double your volume or you need to triple your volume or you need to, and you need to follow this playbook to do it. I think really it just disconnects people further from sales because sales is not about how many people can I dial. It's about how many results do I get a day. And right. too many times in sales training have I seen people going out and basically saying, do the work instead of get the results. And so I think that that's a mindset shift that people need to make.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That is Dale Dupree. Dale's the founder and CEO of the Sales Rebellion. Now, if you've been paying attention, Dale's a growing voice in the conversation about how we can do sales better. And in this episode, from the archives of the Sales Enablement Podcast, Dale and I dig into a number of the things he believes we should be rebelling against. In other words, rebelling against the status quo that is so pervasive in so many areas in sales. We get into what it means to rebel against the outdated and ineffective methods and processes that we still see are pervasive in B2B selling, and we also dive into issues with sales leadership, with sales bosses. Are they too quick to blame individual contributors for poor sales performance when, in fact, they hire, train, coach, and manage these particular people? we also dig digging the whole topic of how we can do a better job of enabling sellers and, perhaps more importantly, how we enable sales leaders going forward. So, all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Dale, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could leave us a review, give us your feedback about how we're doing. So, thank you for that. All right, let's jump into it. Dale, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. I appreciate you having me. As you just caught me, giving somebody a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how are things? Man, things are awesome. it been a I, while. 2021's been great.
0: 2020 was a weird year. And uh, last time I think we talked was 2019. So,
1: yeah, it's, so yeah, it's been
0: a couple of years. Yeah.
1: So, how's the sales rebellion going? It's good.
0: Things have been Interesting to say the least, you know, we're in our second, we just hit our two year anniversary. So we're right. in our second year officially of being a company. And so we're still very young, very startup minded, very nimble still, very agile still looking at different ways to differentiate, to be, you know, in front of the pack. And, and it's not easy to be quite frank with you, but hell is it fun. I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um, for people maybe haven't talked to you or heard from you before and so on. So what <laughs> what are you rebelling against? <laughs>
0: I, I love it when you me that question, bro. I, I'm rebelling against the status quo of the sales world. We're rebelling against the mediocrity of what sales people tend to choose for their walk. We're, our rebellion is based on hope, though. It's not based on you know, hey, let's go beat people up and you know set the village on fire. It's based on this ideology of how can we better know thyself to better know that customer, and how can we build communities instead of or kingdoms uh, rather instead of castles that are old and dark and lonely and and seclude us from communities. And and so really, what we're what we're really trying to do is just give people a new mindset and approach to sales, which just taps back into as you and I have talked about many times, Andy. The mm-hmm. The really the foundations of what sales is, which is people over products, community over commission checks, fellowship over negotiations, small things, small shifts in mindset that allow people to just have a better and more fulfilling sales walk.
1: So, I want to ask you a question about that is, 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 um, yeah, if the rebellion was to win out, what would sales look like?
0: Well, if we won, then we can. We'd have to change our name because we wouldn't be Rebellion against it. Yeah, I we know, won. but I mean,
1: so <laughs> okay with not winning. <laughs> I mean, how would how would hiring look different? I mean, because you're talking about the individual, which I'm also largely focused on. But but in my mind, so many of the issues that we talk about it's really start the management layer, right? Right. Is you know, how we're training people, how we're Bringing people into our cultures that we build, how the expectations we set for them, you know, how we enable them, is. And I mean, sort of, quite honestly, I'm, I'm sort of tired with people pointing fingers at the salespeople as being the problem when I think it really starts at the management level.
0: I do too. I think what we try to do from a, a an individual contributor standpoint is to just influence them, not to place blame on their manager as an excuse but to rise up above the mediocrity that their manager is offering them or the status quo is offering them. But mm-hmm. I do I do agree with you wholeheartedly. We, we we've we we've bantered back and forth through content where I've come in and said, hell, yeah, to to post about, you know, leadership being, you know, in the wrong here. And because just like my dad taught me a certain set of principles and morals and ethics, uh, you know, he didn't he didn't wasn't daily saying let me give you about a a, a lot of bad habits that you're going to carry into your life instead he said i'm going to help you develop your good ones i believe that leadership and sales has has lost its way from that perspective of of what their true role is it's not to be in business for 20, 30, 40 years, retire and then go live on an island somewhere, it's to culture legacies. It's to give a generation coming up a voice and something to believe in as salespeople to begin with. And so so I, I do agree with you. And I think that the leaders just have to start to recognize that that it's okay that people aren't like them. It's okay that there's a shift in mindset around the buyer's market. It's okay that things are changing, and to adapt to that change and to allow it to become part of their culture, which will in turn build better teams, and and which will in turn change the way that we look at the sales landscape.
1: But this seems really seems to be the the hard part for so many. And I I sort of lump people together now. I use the term sales bosses. Sales bosses to come to grips with is that. Yeah, they've become so wedded to certain processes and, and certain KPIs and so on that the they're a little fearful, quite honestly, about salespeople trying to exert autonomy, exert some freedom, exert some individuality about how they could best accomplish what they need to accomplish.
0: Yeah, so everything that I just said kind of puts this utopian outlook on sales, right? Which is not it's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not I'm not <laughs> leading a rebellion in order to create a paradise, right? We have to have oh, yeah, that's not right. we, we, we will always have and we have to have conflict. It's just what makes it's human nature is what makes society, right? And having two different perspectives is important as well. And and I just noticed that on this side, where I truly I believe, you know, and, and I have roots, you know, very deep into procedures, workflows, concepts, mm-hmm. techniques. From a Absolutely. sales perspective, that, that, that this this particular side of it, the rebellion side of it, is, is is quiet. It's very quiet. You know, you you might hear from individuals every once in a while say, yeah, my last job, my boss did this. Well, what are they doing about it? Well, I quit my job in the midst of having to deal with that as a, uh, uh, you know, a top tier manager. Uh, I left a very comfy six-figure you know, job, at salary job, not not to mention the commissions, right? <laughs> and 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 started this because I sat back and said, "This can't, I can't be a part of the status quo any longer. I have to stick my neck out and try to influence other people to do the same." Is it working? I mean, not to the extent that we would want it to. Absolutely not, because. There are still tons of problems in in, in workspaces. And and, and really it, it comes down to the individuals, like you said, because people call us and ask to work with us because they're looking to differentiate. They're looking to create something better, and they're open and willing to learn more about themselves and 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 respect what it is that that sucks about their leadership from the, the eyes of somebody else in order to grow and gain traction on, on their own as well, too. Because our rebellion isn't just about going in and saying you're doing it wrong. It's about helping people to take their strengths. Mm-hmm. What does make you a good manager? Why did you get to this level in the first place? Right. And how can we how can we add that little spice, you know, that pepper and that salt that's needed in order to lead your own rebellion and start to tap into your people better?
1: And at the same time, though, I mean, for me, is I see that individual contributors. I feel like their hands are tied to some degree, right? And I feel this. And I had several two conversations this morning before I talked with you. Is with individuals just saying, "Look, this is contributing to burnout, contributing to mental health issues, and sales feeling like we're sort of constrained in the way that we can can operate." And I feel like I could do a better job, but I just need a little bit of freedom.
0: I feel like at, at a certain point in my walk. That I was and I shouldn't say I feel like I know to be the truth at a certain point in my walk that I was I was ridiculed by my 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 own leadership and not in a condescending manner as much as just kind of being reprimanded. And then people in my ranks though that I shared, you know, the same status with were very condescending of of what it was that I was developing as the copier warrior back in those days of being an individual contributor.
1: You were developing that branding. As the copier warrior, while you were doing the job. This wasn't something you did afterwards.
0: Right, correct. It was it was while I was still an individual contributor and I was under somebody else's roof. And and I was I was told, you know, hey, this is uh this is a little edgy, this is a little spicy, I'm not sure that we can get behind this. I'm not sure that this is what 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 we want you to be doing. And and that's really where, where the rebellion begins, because <laughs> I, I I wasn't disrespectful, but I looked back across the room and said, "Then pound sand." You know, like I right. this is who I am. This is what I'm gonna do, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do things that are gonna degrade your image or cause people to look at you in, incorrectly to what it is that you want people to be perceiving about your business. If anything, I'm gonna I'm gonna literally capture their attention better than you ever could in right. the first place and turn them on to this golden you know era of service and sales that we provide as an organization. I'm taking pride in this and being loud about it. was really the conversation. but but instead of feeling because I, I get the feeling, dude, I do. I get the feeling of people that are out there that are listening right now and thinking, yeah, I am shackled. I am I am handcuffed to the desk. I felt those those things as well too, but I, I said, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, tipped my hat and I rebelled and I did what it was that I needed to do, but the thing is this. If you're not producing, if you're not bringing in the result, you will get canned. And you'll be written up for insubordination and (laughs) and you'll lose it. So you've got to make sure that what it is that you are leading inside of your rebellion is altruistic, that it does put people first because those are the types of ingredients that – your customer base will look at it and say, this makes you somebody attractive to do business with, as right. opposed to who I've been doing business with for 20 years, or the nine people that are calling on my company right now offering the same services. And, and if you can recognize that and realize it like I did, because in 90 days, I was the number one rep of the organization. And at that point, it was kind of, they kind of sat back and were like, well, what what do we do? Well, they just let me loose at that point. And, and even though they, they occasionally Came to me and said, "Hey, we're worried about this. We don't like the way that looks." You know, again, I would, I would accommodate with a yes, sir, and and then I would go on my merry way. And and again, and, and really, it wasn't, again, it wasn't in a way that was distasteful or degrading right. to the company, right? It was just that sometimes people don't understand what it is that you're trying to do when they're in control, right? And when there's something that they can't control, they lose their mind.
1: Yeah, they feel right. threatened. By it. Well, and clearly, your peers felt threatened by it as well. So did any of them follow your lead?
0: Well, you could say that a couple of them kind of came to me privately and said, <laughs> um, you know, hey, I'm trying some of these things and can you give me a little bit of, uh, of advice? But, you know, it was interesting. You know, I I loved my peers and I, I think they, they respected and appreciated me to some degree. If they're listening right now, maybe they're nodding their head. Maybe they're like, No way I hated you. But <laughs> yeah,
1: we can hear them. You know, the
0: I, case, yeah. yeah, right. I, I always tried to, to show them respect and, and make them understand that I didn't hold ill feelings toward them. Rochelle Tomoka, Tony Guadalupe, Brandon Vaughn, you know, I mean I could keep naming them. There's tons of them, but but they were great people in my eyes. And I didn't I didn't really expect them to follow my lead by any means, right? But but I did kind of find it strange that with all the success I was having, that nobody tried out my crumpled letter technique, right? But as soon as I started hiring people, you know, I took reps that were performing in our industry at you know 60 to 70 percent of their quota, to to smashing and crushing their quota by hundred, you know, to 200 percent of quota, and using my techniques. And so I did. I always wondered that, Andy. I'm not gonna lie. I always wondered why you know was I a threat to those people and they just didn't they, they, they didn't really see that what I was doing was good or or what but so again I think it goes to what you just said though earlier and what we were just talking about when you said that people fear what they can't control and so people saw that I was something that they weren't necessarily familiar with and and that there was no control over me and they were worried about that stuff and they didn't want to enable me and and give me you know more runway to go
1: well but you you talk very to the point uh, about yeah, if you're gonna develop this 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 way of operating, and there's really so I'd say two things you you've done that I think are really great. One is you determined the way to operate that was most in alignment with who you were individually, and then you also developed a personal brand around that that was more interesting to your your prospects. And you step forward a few years now as this idea of personal branding on, on LinkedIn has grown. Um, it is a great place to do it, but there are still, I would say the you know, very informal survey, but you know the vast majority of sales managers sort of just dis- discourage it among their sellers um, and it is a way for you to differentiate yourself in the eyes of your buyers uh, but on top of that. You're talking about the risks of sort of experimenting and coming up with your own methodology. It's, yeah, that is a risk. You sort of have to choose at some point. Are you going to stick with the status quo and sort of muddle along, or are you going to take a risk and right. try to be something more?
0: Yeah. You know, and I think that the thought is this, Andy, is that if, if we look at, at products, like, let's just look at products and innovation. So if, as salespeople, we sit back and we say, like, what has created an interesting amount of success for people? <laughs> it's the best way to describe it. So we right. look at Apple, for example, they're the rebels. They created an experience unlike anybody else was doing, and it was mm-hmm. a complete disruption and pattern interrupt in what people were, were, had normalized. And because of that, a whole bunch of people swung over to that side of, the, uh, of the, the aisle and said, let's try this. Let's give this a shot. They're one of the most powerful companies in the world now because of that, I, the identity of saying, let's take a risk. Mm-hmm. But, but also not with, from a, a an arrogant standpoint, right? Where they said we know we can do it better. What they said was that people deserve better. We can give people better. We we can create community by having a product that's so that's amplified by the voices of said community and not by us, which is really what they tapped into. They tapped into mm-hmm. that people are so brand loyal to to folks right. like Apple, because. They feel the difference that's there, and so as salespeople, oh, we, if we literally look at that one, that one example, why would we sit back and continue to do the things that everybody's doing that doesn't create the success that we desire in the first place? And you know, sure, it gets us to two more deals this month than we're used to. What about ten? What about twenty? What about fifty? Those were always the things that I was questioning. How do I get? To multiples millions instead of just one. How do I get to? And then when I was in a six-figure producer, how do I get to seven? Mm-hmm. And 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 that came, you know, with experimentation and 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 trying a lot of things out. But the experimentation even it, it's basic. And if you look at what the guys at Apple did or anybody else that we could use as an example, they just go back to the way that people react in situations that like they created. And we as salespeople have control over those experiences every day.
1: Well, give us an example of that as an individual contributor.
0: So individual contributor picks up the phone, makes a dial, gets hung up on, makes another dial, gets hung up on, makes another dial, not interested, makes another dial, leaves a voicemail, right? Same thing over and over again. And, and, and when they talk to somebody, you know, it's a talk track, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, hey, can I take 27 seconds or whatever it is right. You know, somebody's throwing out there, We're one of those popular lines, right? Where instead, you know, what I was doing was, hey, did you get my letter? That was literally my first line on every cold call. And people would say one of two things. They would say, uh, maybe, or they would say, Yes, yes, I got your letter. Because if they get if they got it, they knew that they got it, because it was either a letter that was had been burnt up and that the contents of it said, Hey, let's listen, 90% of the sales and marketing that comes across your desk is, you know, better used as as a fire starter for the marshmallows with the kids tonight. So, you know, here's a little bit of Kindle and and if you'd like to keep reading feel free and and when people would continue to read they would they were captivated they were all struck they were in an experience that they weren't having before and i nuanced that i didn't start pitching products instead i started pitching more experiences hey you're probably feeling this way at some point in time whether right now or or in the past or it's yet to come but these are the things that i fix you know, from an emotional standpoint because people buy emotionally more so than anything else intelligently we 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 use our brain To justify the emotion, right? But but no matter what, we buy emotionally. So so by using small, very, very nimble, very, very unique, but also very affordable and cost effective ways to interrupt patterns, instead of doing things like sending a gift card, you know, send a brick to somebody that they can throw at their copy machine that continues to break, right? And and say, hey, this might fix it. Your your famous foam foam bricks, yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you actually ever send a real brick? I never did. I, I, I'm not gonna lie that I thought about it a couple times, but but we made the phone ones because my dad told me. He said, "Dude, if you make that's a weapon. Like he's like you. You send a brick. Like you're gonna get you're gonna get beat up. You know they're gonna they're gonna not be nice to you when they pick up the phone. And, and remember too, I was calling into like." high security aerospace companies and right. That's the other thing that, that people I don't think people really truly understand about my walk. They hear and they're like, oh you were selling to a bunch of down the street stuff. So like, yeah, it was. And NASA and Lockheed Martin and right. and Siemens and Harris Corp. And I mean I was, I was everywhere. So well, so these things work because people are people, right, Andy?
1: They are. And that's not changing anytime soon though. People seem to want to make it seem like they have. <laughs> and that's true I think that's That's one of the things that you're coming across, which I certainly come across, is is, yeah, the environment we operate in is changing incredibly rapidly. Um, People are still people. And the way they assess risk, the way they assess opportunities, that hasn't changed. I mean, our our brains haven't evolved that quickly, I'm sure. Give us another thousand years with this, and they will. But uh, yeah, 20 years into the, or 30 years into this revolution, whatever, with technology... We still have a ways to go. So, yeah, people are still people. Be interesting. Be interested in them. Be curious. Understand them. Make them feel heard and valued. Uh, it's mm. all relatively straightforward stuff. So, I want to ask you a question about training. So, you're doing some training as part of, of uh, Sales Rebellion, right? Correct. So, it take sales training in general. So, what are the big shortcomings that you're, you're seeing? that you think need to be addressed?
0: I think the overall outlook that somehow sales training is going to just magically fix all of your sales problems is is a farce. And I think that that's saying, like, okay guys and girls, we, we're going to buy these couple of books and we're going to read them and go through them and then we're going to implement them and everybody's going to have a changed perception and their lives are going to be so much different. I think sales training, where where the, the shortcomings are, no pun intended, are in the 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 lack of having a long-term outlook of it. Development is something that's ongoing and and the world is changing rapidly. The last six years of sales is absolute every year has changed so drastically. To almost to an unrecognizable state. In 2020, literally nobody knew what to do in most yeah. cases, right? So and here we are trying to figure out are we back to normal? Like everybody's got all these questions and still struggling with a lot of the same issues. But the point is, is that with sales training in particular, like we haven't built things that that are Hey, come and get certified in this course and you're gonna be so much better. It's this ongoing identity of building community, of creating legacies, of doing things that are unpopular, but that are that are things that are what people deserve when it comes to your buyers and the experiences you're giving them, and then yourself and the success that you're trying to, to, to get to, because it's not overnight. It never will be, right? You know, and we we practice what we preach too. We have we have coaches and we've had them since the beginning of this organization. Uh, was founded and we will until the end and people that are in our shoes at some point when me and my co-founder ha- have have moved, you know, into different roles inside of the organization cuz we want to give what we're building away to the next generation just mm-hmm. the same. They're going to have to do the same thing. it it's this idea of understanding that we as a community are much more powerful than, you know, the lone wolf mentality of sales. And so at the rebellion what we teach and how we train is is to create that. Not just to say like, "Hey, let's hit your numbers," but to say Let's hit your numbers and build literal relationships in the process that will then expand those numbers light years away from where you ever thought you would be with them. And, and so, because of that, it is a long game approach because you have to build credibility and trust with people. You have to put your money where your mouth is. You have to act and and show that action on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis, in order to create consistency and and persevere through the downs and and the lows to get to those higher places. So. I'm just think that to sum up everything, like I said at the very beginning, that it's the shortcoming is in the fact that nobody looks further out than well, this isn't giving me a return in ninety days, I'm moving on.
1: Right. So, what would you say to the people who write that, you know relationships are really aren't that important in sales, not necessarily desirable.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I respect their outlook, I truly do, but I, I, uh, I'm sad for them, you know, more than anything because they've. They've they have had things happen in their life that have caused them to feel that way in the first place. It's not because of their sales experience. It's because of their life experience. It's as simple as that. You know, I met a guy one time. I he he had uh, 120 stores across the United States that all had one to two copy machines in it. That that uh, the transaction, the average transaction per device was like six grand. Mm-hmm. And so if you do that quick math in your head, it's it's almost a million dollar deal, just a little bit under. You know, based on right. that the number of units per Location. And so it's a it's a nice little win for, for any sales rep, you know, period, especially in the yeah. copier world. And and I I went in to introduce myself to him and and he straight up told me, he said, I'll take a bid from you, but I'm not looking for a new friend. He literally said that to my face. And 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 you I said. and I laughed just I laughed just like you just did. And I I said, okay, you know, that's fine, but I don't give out bids to people that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And 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 this individual, you know, he gave me a hard time and, and I never gave him a bid. Um, I talked to ballparks and we, you know, we got on the same level on a few things. But but what I did is I gave him an experience. Okay. Uh, immediately I said, there's only one way to really help this guy understand that it's not that I'm trying to have pizza with him every Friday night and go meet his kids and his wife. Like I'm trying to build a business friendship more so than anything else. Right. And at the end, before, you know, I declined for the final time to send him a quote, he told me straight up over the phone, he said, listen, you were the closest thing I ever got to bending my rule about relationships with vendors. And and he said, and and because of that, I will, I'm gonna look at my business a little bit differently. And I wanted to say thank you for that. And and even at that moment, I still didn't give him a bid, right? Because because <laughs> it's still important to stand our ground and in, in right. regards to our beliefs and what and and the fact of the matter that there are still gonna be people out there that are not part of our tribe. And there are going to be people that we try to sell to who don't want experiences. They don't mm. want a relationship, and that's okay. They just move on to the next. It's not a big deal. There are millions of people that can buy your product in most cases. So, as much as I I, I can't stand it when people say relationships are garbage, I also respect where they're coming from, and I understand because I've met people like them. And I get it. You know, I get it. They're just, they're in their own little world doing their thing. And I'm going to, meanwhile, I'm going to be over here building my kingdom with all the other rebels.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you're probably more accepting of those than I am. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, yeah, I mean, there are some, there are obviously you're running into people, and, but you gave a good example of <clears throat> what I believe too is that, yeah, I was taught by one of my first managers, and you maybe heard this from your dad, is that, you know, it's a big world out there. And you're running to people that you're just going to be able to do business with. So, that's fine. Don't. Right. Try to Force it. Go do business with someone that wants to buy what you have. Wants to buy mm-hmm. your experience. Agreed. So, what if we uh, have a, an idea. I want to see what your take is. A, you know, instead of companies hiring trainers to come in and train and you know, staffing big departments and so on. is you know, There's such a world of resources out there like yours like other people's what if they gave sellers stipends individual stipends every year you get x amount 1000 2000 bucks go spend on you know some various online training course that exists maybe we'll give you a vetted list of the ones we accept or something and then hold them accountable to take it
0: yeah i love the idea and i so we we actually at the rebellion we created um it, some people are familiar with Patreon it's it's what we're comparing yeah. it to because we want to kind of we want to be the anti we <laughs> we've got to be the anti to something that's why we're a rebellion right so so we, we came up with this idea of of having a very low cost world that people could live in and consume content and have something on an ongoing basis that's also not demanding of their time it's right. not demanding of change. It's not demanding of you need to do all these things right now and 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 get uncomfortable immediately, but slowly walks them into a process where we have you know a nice dashboard for sellers to come to and and everything's gamified. So as soon as you start clicking on things, it unlocks points and it gives you achievements. And it also gives you extrinsic value on top of that, though, because what happens inside of, let's just say, the daily challenges that we have inside of that site, is It says, hey, today, here's five things you can choose from. And, and there's different categories. One of them is, is more of a foundational concept. One of them mm-hmm. is more of an outreach concept. One of them more of a pipelines concept. One of them more of a system or process concept. And it, and it asks you, hey, try this today right? One of five things that you can choose from. And, and then you hit challenge and you get 12 hours to get it done, right? We have an eight hour workday. So we did the math that maybe, maybe, you know, somebody waking up a little too early could be up to four hours. And so, you know, we'll give them a 12 hour window to accomplish this task. And, and this is what happens in that moment is that it accomplishes the things that you're discussing right now of like a stipend of, mm-hmm. of, of companies saying, here's a budget that you can spend, you know, per year on something, but it also gives intrinsic and extrinsic value and motivation instead of just like, oh, I really like, uh, uh, you know, X trainer and I want to take their courses. Because the problem is, and you've seen this, I know you have just as much as I have. It's why I started the company. And, and one of the, the biggest uh, you know test beds we started with is, yeah, I took that course and it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Or you know something along those lines. So we we built a living, breathing concept that a seller could come in year in, year out, pay a low price, and and have a world that they create on their own. That's that's sales training for them. And, and so like, because let's say that they leave that organization. This is the thought that we have. Right. They leave that organization. They can't. They don't get the six hundred dollars a year anymore that they've been given to get training. And so, what do they do? Well, if it's such a low cost that that also gives them the value that they want when it comes to their output and what they're getting from it when they practice what we're asking them to, they'll never leave in the first place. And and we see that being the evolution of sales training, where you're going to still want a guy like Andy to come in and motivate the team every once in a while. You still want Dale to show up and hoorah everybody on the on the rooftop, you know, for an hour before you you cut into the to the new year. But what you really need is something that's accountable to your people on a daily basis and, and on an hourly basis in some cases. And so, mm-hmm. you know, having this, this concept of gamifying sales and building a world inside of the rebellion where people can go from home plate to first base to second to third and then play a new inning and do it again and continue to level up and and prestige, if you will, is, is how we look at that. So I'm in agreement with you. I think that that companies should stop worrying so much about like, hey, let's bring in all these Trainers, you know, throughout the years, and and we'll do spin cell this year, and we're going to do the challenger cell next year, and let's let our people decide, and let's give them budgets to do so.
1: All right, well, I'm glad we're in violent agreement about that. So you said what you described is you said that was on Patreon. So we we actually call
0: it the Rebel Refuge. It'll be it, we're going to totally use the anti-Patreon advertising. They, Patreon doesn't is not threatened by us, I promise you, but. But we're going to use that as part of our our stick to get people to recognize what it is that we're trying to do, right? So, okay. so we, we're to use the Netflix of sales, but John Barrows already stole that when he came out with his little program. So I'm going to let him have it. I like that guy, so he can have <laughs> that. And I'm going to go after <laughs> the anti-Patreon. <laughs> All
1: right. So you're going to have your own platform to do that then?
0: Yes, correct. And we've
1: been developing it for the last two years. So when we
0: started the company, it was our original vision. Right. What we wanted to do for sellers, for individual contributors, don't worry about spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. Stay in something that you can you can choose, right. outside of what it is that your company's forcing you to do, <laughs> that you can get more extrinsic value out of. So, all right. so we hired developers and we've been building it since, and and it's almost ready. It's about to be ready. So,
1: all right. Well, we'll get to the end of the episode, and you'll you'll tell people how to stay tuned for that. Um, all right. Just a couple of questions, sort of wrap up. Random question. So we're talking about sales training. In your mind, what's the most useless thing that's taught in sales training?
0: Oh, man, this could make some people mad. But I I, I really think that a sales trainer coming in and trying to justify metrics inside of what it is that they're teaching people around volume, so call volume, is one of the biggest travesties of sales. If a manager or, or a company wants to measure their, matri- their, their volume and their, their output and try to come up with statistics around like, okay, this is working, this is not. I think that's fine. But a sales trainer coming in and saying, you need to double your volume or you need to triple your volume or you need to, and you need to follow this playbook to do it. I think really it just disconnects people further from sales because sales is not about how many people can I di- dial. It's about how many results do I get a day? And too many times in sales training have I seen people going out and basically saying, do the work instead of get the results. And so I think that that's a mindset shift that people need to make.
1: Interesting. Okay. Like that. So what's the one thing that's not being taught in sales training that should be?
0: I think the idea of the first touch piece, like we kind of talked about earlier, like mm-hmm. you know the bricks, you know, so like sending out a crumpled letter campaign, and, we'll and crumble
1: that in your hand for people that are seeing the video, <laughs> they'll be able to see yeah, that. Okay, it's it's a little fun
0: <laughs> So, copier reps and, and SPs, so managed service providers, IT professionals, and really, there's more. There's more people that use the brick in, inside of different verticals as well, too, all over the world at this point. They use these things. They send out fifty before on a Monday and a Tuesday. And on a Wednesday and a Thursday, they make dials. Hey, did you get my brick? Hey, did you get yeah, my absolutely. letter? And, and those are the types of things that get people more intentional. It's more intentional for the rep, but it gets a person curious. It gets a human curious about, oh, what's this? So any of the SDRs we teach, uh, any of the AEs, anybody that's on the phone, period, they'll tell you a significant difference between dialing on people that have received a first touch piece as opposed to dialing on people cold. And it's a massive difference with, with big results. And I don't really think anybody's teaching it in the way that they should be, at least. And I think that they should.
1: Yeah, I, I this you know, dates back a while, but in my first job is <clears throat> we were selling bigger computer systems, but for mid-sized businesses. But I'd send a postcard, about 10 postcards a week to people, inviting them to a in-branch seminar. About business accounting on a computer, which was new at that time, and yeah, did it every week. Did my call follow up calls. Always had people come in. Developed a great pipeline. You just have something a little bit different, and people gravitate towards it.
0: Right. Yeah. And I and I I agree. And I I'm not surprised that you got good results from it because when people this is the other side of it is that they get to experience you before you ever dial, so they know a little bit about you. They've they've. They felt something in those moments. And again, emotions is what yeah. we focus on in the Rebellion because that's how people purchase and make decisions emotionally.
1: Yep. Perfect. All right. Well, Dale, how are people going to be able to find out about your Sales Rebellion course when it becomes available?
0: So anybody can go to salesrebellion.com and check out anything that, that we currently have live. We do have curriculum. We have one-on-one coaching. We have team coaching, uh, company coaching. But the refuge will be there at thesalesrebellion.com once it's up, um, and really just like keeping an eye on my content pages. So LinkedIn.com backslash am backslash Copy or Warrior, or Sales Rebellion, or backslash Sales Rebellion on any of the other social sites from TikTok to Instagram to what to uh, to YouTube to Twitter, you'll be able to. When as soon as the thing launches, if you're watching our feeds, if you're involved with the rebellion, you'll be able to see it because we're going real hard on advertising when this thing comes out cuz we be- we believe that it is our it's our our golden goose. You know, it's the thing that is not just going to bring the what the differentiation of the sales rebellion has been preaching to light for people that's tangible instead of just reading about what we do and hearing success stories but actually getting a piece of the pie as well, but we also believe that it's going to bring a community together that's been very silent for a long time and it's going to make them very loud and I'm excited about it.
1: Excellent. All right, Dale as always. Thank you. You got it, man. I appreciate you having me on, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Dale Dupree for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or every listen to podcast. And again, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.